This is drama on News Talk. It is just a few short years after the cataclysm of World War I, and a storm is raging through the Emerald Isle. As the heroes of our nation stride forward to throw off the shackles of perfidious Albion, of course other people are striding forward too, and some of them are not quite of the calibre of Michael Collins, Jack Charlton or Emma de Valera. This is the story of one of those men and his dangerously unhinged spiritual advisor, featuring Bolsheviks, homicidal fairies and a sprinkling of chocolate. A tale which tells the untold story of one of the greatest gobshites in Irish history. We give you now the dramatic comedy documentary Sniper Joe and Sister Jim. The year is 1920, or so-ish. On a hill in the middle centre of Ireland, we find two lady soldier rebels in a tent, listening to the pleadings of our hero, Joe Mahan. Joe is desperately trying to convince the Irish Republican motherhood to allow him to fight for Aaron's freedom as part of their elite unit. And I had my most probable father killed by the English as well as everything. And if you just give me a chance to go sniper gunning at them, I know I can avenge his death. Which probable father is that then? Twisty man, your honour. Killed by foul Britannia this last 20 years to the very day last month on the second Tuesday. Twisty man fell from a tree, did he not? He did, but it was an English tree, your highness. No Irish tree would have killed him. It was a Norwegian fir, if I am not mistaken. And they come from Norway, don't they? Perhaps, your lady Smith. But the plantationers of Ulster planted it. Just for to kill him, I'm, I'm sure of it. Now, can I please be in your rebellion? I need vengeance on the Britneys for a father killed and a mother lost. Wait outside, Joe Mahan. There's also a small matter of you having shot Countess Markovich in the foot when you came here this morning. And, Joe, that's not a positive for you. Oh, me blatant apologies for that, Your Excellency. It is, it is me probable father's gun and it's like, it has a mind of its own. Get out, Mahan. Now! With Joe's arse metaphorically booted out the tent flap, there is a chance for the ladies of the Irish Republican motherhood to consider the situation. In modern times, it may be common practice for rebel groups to fill their ranks with half-wits and nutjobs, but Nora, Commander-in-Chief of the IRM, is firmly against the idea. It's not just that he failed to find the safe house on his training mission. It's the fact that he asked the black and tans, the worst kind of shites in the British Army, for directions. In his defence, Nora, he said he got confused between the Irish tricolour and the Offaly county colours and thought it was a safe house for people from Offaly. Nula, since we granted him an internship with us last week, Joe Mann has exploded two cows, a horse, shot a tree and set fire to several geese. But Nora, he's quite probably Twisty Mahan's son and didn't his poor unfortunate slut mother get took to the pox house these 20 years past? I don't care, Nula, if he's the son of God himself. I want that dozy little yoke out of the unit. Meanwhile, in a bid to crush the Irish Rebellion, Commander-in-Chief of the British Forces in Ireland, General Sir John Pooley, has moved his men to a position in the centre of Ireland, the aptly named Britain's Hill. Unfortunately for him, Britain's Hill was actually a bad translation from the original Irish name, Oth Conabrehen a Vorologuna, the place to kill the British with guns, or Sniper Hill, as the locals would know it. 
Ole in his office is most likely about to receive a phone call, or so the script says. Hello. Could I speak to the Chief Pick of the British Army Headquarters, please? This is General Sir John Pooley, Commander-in-Chief of the British Army in Ireland. Who the devil are you? And how did you get through to this number? It's Damon Revelera here. No relation to the great leader of Irish resistance. Humble school teacher, and soon-to-be newspaper magnate and keeper of the Irish press, the wonderful Eamon de Valera from County Clare. I'm actually just a humble informant, with news on the whereabouts of rebel so-called leader, Michael Collins. Collins. Do you have any sort of a reward for him? One minute, you. This better not be another pranking telephone call. We had two telephone calls yesterday from a Mr. Colin Michaels, offering information on how to catch the de Valera. Really? And where did Colin Michaels say he would catch me? I mean, the Eamon de Valera. He said de Valera is so far up his own anus, you'd need a spatula the size of Spain to scoop him out. Colin said that, did he? Well, I tell you, he'll rule the day he tried to use up the rightful King President of Ireland. Shut up and tell me where to find the Collins. I have a population to subdue. You'll never beat the Irish, Pooley. Why, this very day, I have given express instructions and an unlimited budget to the civil service to form a crack new snipering squad. And they'll do for you, you big prick. Prick! And it is him in De Valera here, by the way. You have been pranked by the President of the Ireland. Meanwhile, in the tent of the Irish Republican Motherhood, the debate about Joe Mahan's membership is nearing a conclusion. I wouldn't mind, but I also found out that Joe Mann and Sister Jim, the propaganda unit, spent £50, £50 on a whispering campaign that no one has even heard of. I thought that was the point of a whispering campaign, Nora. Sister Jim said it was to make the Brits paranoid and think everyone hates them. Sure, why would whispering about them behind their back make them any more paranoid than blowing them up and shooting them at every opportunity, huh? Begging your interference, Your Majesties, but I really need to make toilet. And also, there are two men here from the chef, Mr. Emmett de Valera, who said they need to see your permits and your penises for the waging of war on the English, said they were working for the civil cervix. Firstly, Joe Mahan, don't refer to us as Majesties. And secondly, we answer to Michael Collins, the true rebel leader, not de Valera, that jumped-up Yankee boy. Good morning, sir, our Madam Nora. As was noted to us in correspondence from His Presidency, Eamon de Valera. With the tent flap being separated, Terry Gilder and Ambrose Cranty enter the scene. Ambrose and Terry are in training to be civil servants. And they have come with pronouncements in their gobs for the women of the Irish Republican motherhood. It would appear from the lack of manifest filed to our colleagues in head office that you have no permission to be rebellioning, as you are without a male member. It is decreed forthwith that you cease and desist from all activities designed directly or indirectly to instigate the withdrawal of the oppressors and their foul minions from the island of Ireland. Needless to say, this brush with the bureaucratic underlings of the state-to-be is not something that best pleases Nora, but she hides it well. Now, you listen to me, Terence Gilder, you white-faced little f***. You and your f***ing silver service can go f*** yourselves from a height. I did not give the last ten years of my life fighting for a free and fair Ireland just to bend the knee to a shower of <laughs> like you and your gumbling there, Ambrose Crenty. Now piss off before I ram this pistol through your eyes and out through your ears. It'll be a cold day in hell before the women of Ireland bow to this misogynistic 
Well, Nora, Satan must be shivering his little evil wobblies off at the moment, because all your lady soldiers have just crept off home to their husbands and their washing. I expect the edict from the Council of Bishops, threatening them with eternal damnation, circulated by myself and my colleague a few minutes ago, has struck a bit of a chord. And now, as the only member of the unit with testicles, the man dancing in the corner of your tent with said testicles clutched tightly in his hands, is hereby promoted to Commander-in-Chief and sole male member of the Irish Republican Motherhood. That's deadly news. When I was a little boy, my mother told me the Dark Invader had killed my most probable father. Now, I will finally get a chance to avenge him and I will grab it with me both hands. Good man, Joe. Your name will go into the annals of history as the man who took back our sovereignty and finally got the exit of Britain from Ireland done proper. Hooray! We shall call you Sniper Joe and spare no expense in learning you the sniper gun. Brilliant! Get me started, lads. Don't you need to make the toilet first? Not anymore, Terry. In the camp of the enemy, Commander Pooley is still vexated after being pranked by the legislative head of the Irish rebel forces, Eamon de Valera, and his mood is about to disimprove. That knock on the door signals the preamble to the entry of Lieutenant Redmond Herring, one of the least liked human beings in Commander Pooley's world. Herring! What the hell do you want? I regret to inform the General that, owing to the evils we are visiting on this green and pleasant land, I can no longer do my duty to King and Country. I hereby wish to be withdrawn from active service and considered as a conscientious objector, if it pleases the General. It doesn't please me, Herring. But, General, sir... Shut up! Shut up! I swear to God, Herring, no officer under my command has ever complained to me every single day of his service. No other officer has lost his weapons so often. No other officer has lost his platoon while on a ship. It was a submarine, General. Which makes it worse. How can 29 men go missing inside a tin can? With respect, General, they weren't missing. They were hiding in the torpedo bays. Which you only discovered after you had launched six of them into the side of a fishing trawler. Leave this room now, Herring, and do not return until you are dead. Do you understand me? Dead. Because that is the only way you are leaving my army, you dozy little bollocks. Dismissed. Meanwhile, the next evening after, Sniper Joe sits down with Ambrose and Terry from the Department of Public Enterprise, Law, Traditional Sports, Taxation, Fisheries, Sugar Bee Production, Windbush Extraction and the Gaeltacht. Now, Joe, if you want to avenge your probable father's death and make up for your disappeared mother being such an almighty slut, you'll need to get killing some English quick. And for that, you need this handy sniper's handbook and accompanying record. This is the definitive guide to shooting British people from distance. You sign here, here and here. Initial there and you're good to go. They carry with them copies of John McCormick's legendary book, The Rebel's Guide to Snipering of the Gun, a handy handbook for shooting and stuff, with phonographic record accompaniment. But I don't have a gramophone machine. How the hell would I get the sound off that player record? We happen to have one from head office that you can hire for the duration of your escapade. Sign here. Here, 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 and just bleed a little onto that bed there. 
Rochester. Welcome. I am John McCormick, and this is the Rebel's Guide to Snipering of the Gun. A handy handbook for shooting and stuff with pornographic record accompaniment. In this lessons, you will learn all that is needed to sniper shoot English, as it will probably be them you're sniper at. When you hear the beep, you need to turn the page. Beep! Page one. Getting started. Remember, all good sniping comes from a desire to rid the land of the dark and bearer. But it is also essential to find a good position from which to shoot. It is also good not to be seen getting into your sniping position. How could I drop the microphone? Don't turn the page. Those recording grams are expensive. Can we stop the wax master? No. Fuck it anyway. Dev will, will kill me if we go over budget. Okay, snipering student. Just recite the sniper's prayer, which is at the back of page two, while I retrieve the fucking microphone. Fuck it anyway. And we still have the Irish version to do. Bollocks. Meanwhile, but some hours later, at a night befallen lake, Lieutenant Herring is leaning on a stone and smoking a cigarette. He is angst-ridden, as one would expect of a soldier whose boss wants him dead. As a pacifist, being a member of an army of occupation doesn't sit well with him either. Why, Silver? Why must we continue to oppress these poor downtrodden people of Ireland? People of wisdom and learning, good people, decent people. I thought they needed our help, but now... I don't know. Silver, I should point out, is the name of his horse. And if this were radio with pictures, you would clearly see that his horse is festooned in anti-English propaganda. With great ingenuity, someone has fitted the wordy but effective slogan near the horse's rear. England is what Ireland could be if it fed upon its own excrement. (coughs) And of course the classic, it's only a great war when England loses, is hung around the horse's neck. Lord, dear Lord in heaven, if you can hear me through this fog of war, why, why must we always fight with the Irish? Why can we not live in peace with our noble neighbours? From across the lake come several replies to the lieutenant, but none of them are from the Lord. Shut up, you white and English moron! I'm sorry, I was trying to apologise. What we have done to your country is wrong. What you're doing now is wrong. It's four o'clock in the morning. Shut up. I can't be silent. What England has done here is wrong. How can I be silent? I'll fucking show you how you can be silent. No, Jamie. Don't shoot the poor Egypt. The sound of the rifle shot cracking off the tree near him is at first a bit of a shock to Lieutenant Herring. But very quickly he decides that it's probably the best thing for him to be shot. Yes, that's it. Shoot me. Shoot me now that my death may somehow balance the wrongs that have been done by my country to this fair and gentle isle. Sheila, will you let me go? He wants me to shoot him. You can't shoot him, Shamey. He doesn't know what he's saying, the poor Aegis. Sheila, let Shamey shoot me. Let loose this noble hand of Aaron that it may strike me down and that my blood may warm your souls and stem the tide of bitterness between Gael and Saxon. Ah, here, Sheila. You're right, he's mad. Shut up, would you? 
Yeah, let's shoot him or shut your gob. Do you hear me? You shut up, or we'll shoot you. Now, well, in your hole, Shammy Grogan, you squinty-eyed feck. I'll drill you from here and not think twice about it. Shoot him, Shammy. Turn up, Mongan. You're not the boss of flat nose scuttery rats. Would you all of you shut up? My mom is dying of the consumption. Give her some peace. Just die and cuss you as a slut. That's all, McGann. Damn your eyes, turnip monger! Shut your eyes and let me finish with these. I'm going to pull seven parts of your brain out of your skull and smash As is traditional in most Irish attempts to fight foreigners, the Irish wind up fighting themselves and the foreigner walks away shaking his head. Meanwhile, some distance away, sitting contorted under a willow tree, is Sniper Joe. His face deformed with concentration as he reads by firelight from the Sniper Manual and accompanying phonographic record. The best snipering spot is one which lets you shoot the person you want shooted in safety and with a degree of comfort. The best snipering spot lets you shoot the person you want shooted in safety and with a degree of comfort. Hills are always good. Hills are always good. Before pointing your sniper gun at the British, for it will be mainly them that you will be snipering. Check, you can see them through the sight bit at the top end of the gun that you look through. Check, you can see them through the sight bit at the top end of the gun that you look through. Congratulations! Cogarjacus, you're ready to start snipering. Suddenly, Jim, the spiritual advisor to the Irish Republican motherhood, appears behind Joe. And for reasons best known to herself, Jim screams loudly into Joe's ear. Bang! Ah! Oh my God, Joe Mahan. If any of your facty possible fathers saw this, they'd kill themselves. Out of shame for feistering a yoke like yourself and this poor country that has enough troubles already. Leave my 40 possible fathers out of this. I'm in deep concentration for a special mission to snipers some English on behalf of the men from the department and the Irish Republican motherhood of which I am now the male member. That's grand news, Joe. For you to be taken on this role fills me with pride. As a nun, of course. I should point out at this stage that Sister Jim is a female known person of the lady kind. She took the name Jim at her solemn profession because of her devotion to Labour leader Big Jim Larkin, but also to upset Mayor Jim Bigot who ran the local town before an unfortunate accident. Friends, I'm here today to launch another blast of the trumpet against a monstrous onslaught of women. And also to hold the raffle for the two-headed chicken that was found in the Gullion Road. As well as being an outrageous misogynist, even by Irish standards, Jim Bigot had told Sister Jim shortly before his death that women should be seen and not heard. Everyone knows that women should be seen and not heard. When they later found his corpse on Sniper Hill, his eyes and ears had swapped places in his head. While some were sceptical that the fairies had accomplished this trick without anyone hearing or seeing anything, the fact that a nun gave sworn testimony held sway with a lot of people. Jim Bigot's cause of death was officially noted in court records as non-suspicious death by fairies. And the chief witness, Sister Jim, was given free reign by her religious order to do whatever she liked from then on. She very much liked fighting the British Empire and eating chocolate. Sister Jim, I am now a sniper in training on a mission for the President of Ireland, King Eamon de Valera, and the civil servers. 
And also, to avenge my most likely father by snipering England's evil troopers and their ilk. I have sniper gun and permits, and if my mysteriously disappeared mammy could see me now, tis likely she'd see her son plug one of the Britneys and save Ireland from England forevermore. A spiritual advisor to the Irish Republican Motherhood. I know the best place to snipe the invader is from Sniper Hill near Commander Pole's England camp. Sniper Hill? But that's the most haunted hill in Ireland. Tis riddled with fairies and no one goes up there. I'd be afraid of my life to go up there. Sure don't I know only too well. Wasn't it there that the fairies killed poor Jim Biggish? Slowly, as the court record shows. But tis a great spot for shooting. I'll put a holy spell on you from God, and that'll keep you right. If you head up there now, you could get a right good shot at that Brittany-looking fella that's seated on the rock over there. Right, Sister Jim. I'll get the ball rolling with that fella, and then there'll be no stopping me. With the protection of holy God on me, that'll trump them fairies, no mistake. I'll pop down and suss them out for you. It's as well to be sure of these things. By now the Lieutenant Herring for it is he what is the subject of the tale, is seated on a rock just below Sniper Hill, writing to his mother by candlelight. Helpfully, he reads as he writes. Otherwise, none of us would know what he's writing. Dear Mother, the time that I have spent in this country has shown me now that I was never cut out for this soldiering. I think the locals are whispering about me behind my back. And Commander Poulet has taken a bit of a dislike to me and has recently expressed a great interest in seeing me dead. It is tricky for someone to write and talk, so Lieutenant Herring is about to begin writing again when he notices Sister Jim standing beside him. To disguise herself, she puts on a very bad French accent. Begging your pardon, soir, but are you an English soldier man and would you happen to... Spend much time on this stone as you are sitting on now. Why, yes, sister, I am English, and as a matter of fact, I sit here every night for a good hour at least. Don't sniper yet, Joe! Not till I come back with the intelligence! I say, you'd better take cover, dear lady. Looks like someone's out to plug you. To plug me? Not to worry, swear, it is just uh, me uh, son uh, playing a little jokey on me. You did say that you sit here every night, didn't you? Yes, every night, here on the rock, with my back turned just so, and my helmet off. like to get a bit of air to the brain when I can. Air to the brain. Lovely idea. Good luck now. Good luck to you too, noble Irish sister wench nun. Give my regards to your... uh, None, son. He'll be getting my regards too presently. Very presently indeed. Jim makes for our hero, Joe, at full speed and in high dudgeon. Joe, of course, is firing his gun by accident. And I suspect Jim is about to thump him. Sister Jim. Yes, Sister Jim has thumped Joe very hard and is now educating Joe about the correct persons to be shooting at. She has Joe's gun in one hand and a really big metal pot in the other. Only shoot the Brittany Inlanders and not the Irish! As Sister Jim is now beating seven shades of Brendan Shine out of Joe and also inserting most of his head into a small metal pot, we may just draw a veil over the scene for now. 
Please be sure to join us after the advertisement breakage for the shocking conclusion of Sniper Joe and Sister Jim. It is early morning in Erin, and all is quiet, save for the sound of birds singing sweetly in the trees and a clanging sound coming from the top of Sniper Hill, where our hero, Sniper Joe's feet, are sticking up in the air. Joe gradually raises his head, which, following the actions of Sister Jim, is wedged firmly into a pot. That's the sound of Joe shouting for help inside the pot. And the pot is not for budging. As befits a sniper in training, Joe reaches for his rifle and fires a couple of volleys towards his own head. Having failed to shoot his head from six inches, Joe feels about and finds a rock. I suspect now he will hit it very hard against the pot on his head. Joe is now unconscious. Meanwhile, in the English soldier boys' camp, Commander Poulet is in his office fuming. The remains of a broken smoking pipe between his fingers as he is talking on the telephone. It may sound funny to you, Prime Minister, that I am holding my little pipe in my hands, but this was my third best pipe, shot from my mouth by an Irish sniper. Someone was firing shots at me last night and started up again this morning. If Paddy can muster up men of that calibre, we should rethink the campaign. Yes, sir, in theory, men are more important than pipes, but this one was in my mouth. Yes, the pipe, Prime Minister. It's not funny either way. Because it just isn't. You can suck on one too, Prime Minister. Good day. Bloody Welsh muppet. I know you're out there, Paddy. And I know you think I'm rattled. But I warn you, Poulet is not a name synonymous with cowardice. In the local church, the unfortunate Father Angus has drawn the short straw and is hearing the confession of Sister Jim. But he was roaring an Irish song by the end of it and likely would not make the same mistake again. The sins of Sister Jim are not inconsequential. The two young fellas. And Father Angus has now done two solid hours. When I fired them off the bridge, there was hardly a peep out of them both. Losing the contents of his stomach twice. But at least Jim is coming towards the end now as she recounts her tale of inserting Joe into a pot and baiting the head off him for several hours. A metal pot of piss water, but with good reason. Somehow, Father Angus recovers control of his abdominal muscles as Sister Jim begins to tell a tale that fills his soul full of hope. It may change the course of human history. It will certainly change the fate of Ireland for the next hundred years at least. However, her story is cut short by Ambrose and Terry, the men from the department who have come to inspect the seals on the confessional box and also find out where sniper Joe Mahan has got to. Knock, knock, Father Angus. Who's there? The men from the department. The men from the department? Who? The men from the department who are going to run the country for the benefit of the few over the rights of the many. Or else the reverse of that, depending on how the winds of change blow over the next wee while and which socio-economic system emerges triumphant. 
Now, have you any idea where Sniper Joe Mahan is to be found? He's to be found on top of Sniper Hill with a bucket of piss on his head. I had to insert him into it for to help him with his sniper gunning. Well, Sister Jim, if you've broken his gun or damaged his gramophone, there will need to be suitable recompense to us, the organs of the state. We have been tasked with providing someone to shoot at the current forces of occupation. And with him having a willy and all, Joe Mann was deemed a man for the job. So we're naturally concerned as to his whereabouts and, to a much lesser extent, his well-being. He's up on that hill where I put him. Head up there now and you'll see. Father Angus, you can just add them last couple of hundred sins to my account and I'll set them up with God later. Back in the camp of the English, the stray bullets fired through the night from Joe Mahan's sniper gun have left poor old Commander Pooley a bit put out. Pooley here. What do you want? Hello, General, sir. It's uh, Lemon Edvera here. Interior designer and great friend of the British. I heard you wanted your office redesigned, and I was going to send over some samples. About bloody time. There was another designer sent over yesterday called Mullins Keikel, and he made the whole barracks open plan. Open plan? A field full of paddies just walked in and took away half our bloody guns before we spotted it. Now what's your plan? And it better be good. I'll tell you what. Uh, Why don't you give me your address there, and I'll send you over my samples. Very well. It's number one. Big house stolen from the Irish. Britain's Hill era. But we will need to get three quotes for procurement purposes. I've got three quotes for you, all right. Ireland and free shall never be at peace. Poor Egg Pierce. Let no man write my epitaph, Robert Emmett. And England is a never-failing source of all our political evils. Wolfie Tone. And it is Zayman de Valera here. Future King of the Republic of Ireland. And I prank you again, you big prick. Meanwhile, at top of Sniper Hill, Joe is firing his gun wildly. But has been put off by Ambrose and Terry, who are on overtime allowance from the civil service to oversee his efforts. Suspecting that Bolshevism might become a bit of a thing in the future, and to be sure of a job under any potential regime change, Ambrose is a lifelong communist for the last fortnight. I think you'd be as well off just braining the Brits with a shovel at this point, Joe. Comrade Trotsky might say, a dozy shite is as well off accepting his limitations. Most of your possible father were gobshites, and as you have fired the requisite number of bullets for us to fill in these forms, I think you should return the sniper rifle to us before you hurt yourself. Back off now, lads. I am here on the business of debt, and I shan't be dissuaded from my grim task till I have spilt the blood of the accursed four. Them's fine words he has all the same, aren't they, Ambrose? Good luck to you, Joe. I don't need luck, Terry Gilder. Sister Jim put a holy spell on me, and now I have God on me back. The battle between Ireland and England may always have been a Goliath and David's struggle. Well, David is going to get the lard bet out of him now, because I have me sniper gun, not a slingshot, and I'll do for that bloody giant. Do you hear me, David? Do you hear me? Here's one Goliath that is not afraid of you! Back in the office of the commander of the British forces in Ireland. Left a bit. Down. Over here. Mind the curtain! Commander Pooley, wearing a steel helmet and looking shaken, directs soldiers to barricade his office. Down. Mind out right here. Mind my curtain. My curtain! Pooley's mood has not been helped. 
by the recent delivery of two sample designs for new stools for his boardroom that turned out to be actual stool samples. These two small pieces of shit have added to the small pieces of bullets smashing into his office and left him very annoyed. I am very annoyed, Hurtley. Very annoyed. And you found nothing up on this sniper hill, so-called? Nothing, sir. Only what looked like a monkey in a tin pot hat, sir. Battering his skull with rocks. Bloody country of fairies, monkeys and pranksters. But I tell you, Sergeant Hurtley, this sniper won't get the better of me. The British Army beat Bonaparte. We beat the Boers. We beat the Bosch. We beat the Belgians. We can and will beat these bog biters. Uh, not sure we did beat the Belgians, sir. Weren't they on our side? To be honest, Hurtley, in the muck and piss of the war in Europe, I was never that certain. Nor did I care. This sniper may think he has me on the run. But he'll soon know what it's like to be shot dead and killed by a true Englishman. <coughs> that whiz of a bullet coincides with Hartley pulling a face, as if he has been shot. He keels over slowly, bleeding profusely from his head, because he has been shot. Ah! It's nowhere safe in this godforsaken country! Hello? Downing Street. This is Commander Poulet. Get me the Prime Minister. I do give a flying Frenchman's flute where he is. Get him on this phone this minute. No, I do not want to take a call from Maiden Evelera. It is the next day, and on top of Sniper Hill, Joe is reading the Sniper Manual with accompanying phonographic record, while holding a long piece of rubber tubing. His face registers extreme discomfort, for reasons you will shortly hear. While on a snipering mission, you may be required to remain in position for many hours at a time. Many hours at a time. Along with the British, consider excrement your next most deadly foe. Number twos can be ignored. The coal and sphincter and anus are reliable body parts and have always played their part in the fight for Ireland. The bladder, however, is a tricky piece of internal equipment due to its proximity to and reliance penile unit. Beep. It is necessary, therefore, to attach a length of rubber tubing to allow free passage of internal water diapering position. Lucifer Stanton's rubber tubing is recommended. 280 foot length supplied for your comfort. It should be attached with care to your mechaline, by which I mean your... That explains the noises we heard before. Listen now and we can hear an unbuttoning noise and a bit of fumbling. I strongly suspect that next there will be a loud snap of rubber. <coughs> Told you so. And yes, Joe has attached the tube to his manhood. If we hark now, we can hear Lieutenant Herring and his horse draw near. Seeing Herring approach... Joe kneels and with great fervour recites the prayer of the Irish sniper. God, direct my bullet that it may pierce the cruel head of England. Keep my bladder from interrupting my work. Bless me with a clean kill so that I don't have to run down the hill and brain the fellow with a stick. And if I do kill him, please disremember the commandment that's about killing. Amen. About 280 feet away. Ambrose and Terry are walking towards the summit of Sniper Hill. It being the birthday of top Bolshevik Leon Trotsky, they're walking unsteadily enough to begin with, 
before Terry trips over a piece of rubber piping sticking up from the ground. What the hell is this? Some rubber devilment of them black and tans, no doubt. That's a hazard, all right, and no mistake. Tie that tube off to the statue of St. Judas there before it trips another idiot. Becky, Terry and Ambrose, you have me near ruined. Tis a shame on Ireland that a brave young soldier can't sniper in safety without having his tube yanked. Oh, Hellfire, here comes the Brittany. I can't be seen by the enemy. I'm away to me bush. I say, you fellow, hiding in the bush, you seem to have left some of your tubing behind. Uh, thanks, thanks. Uh, oh, would you mind handing me my sniper gun as well? No problem. There's a few bullets here as well if you want them. While I'm up here, is there anything else I can do for you? Uh, if you don't mind, would you go back down onto the rock again for a wee while so I can get a decent shot at you? But would it not be easier if you took a shot while I'm here? That wouldn't be snipering, though. There'd be no honour in it. He's right, Lieutenant Herring. Tain't get a damage to the reputation of our saintly isle if we didn't play fair whilst ridding the country of the invader. Right so, but could you make it quick? I have to get back to the barracks in the next few minutes unless I'm dead. I'm trying my best for shite's sake. Sorry if I put you under pressure. I'll pop down to the rock, so. In the office of the enemy, all is now changed utterly. Commander Pooley has two soldiers standing either side of his desk. And he himself is in a box with a steel helmet on his head. His arms and legs are outside the box. But otherwise he is encased for his protection as bullets enter his office seemingly by magic at regular intervals. I cannot tolerate this situation any longer. My personal safety has been compromised on a daily basis and I am now encased in a bloody box. It's actually described as a bulletproof vestment, sir. It's a box. And if I am not careful, it'll become my coffin. How the hell can such a dangerous sniper constantly vanish into thin air under the very noses of the King's army? Maybe the fairies on the hill took him, sir. I read in court archives they turned a man's ears into his eyes until he was dead. Homicidal fairies. Telephone calls every hour of the day and night and a sniper tracking my every move. I can't take much more of this. It's a sad day for the Empire when the Commander-in-Chief of His Majesty's forces is reduced to wiping his own arse through six inches of oak. No! I do not want to like an article written by Edmund Avaliera. Meanwhile, on Sniper Hill, Joe is still shooting at Lieutenant Herring. A bit more to the left, Joe. Left. Are you sure you don't want me to come closer? Sister Jim has joined Ambrose and Terry watching from a bush. Thank God he hasn't managed to shoot him yet. What sort of threat or talk is that, Sister Jim? Isn't he English? He needs to be shot. It's what I'm after learning from Father Angus that has me paused. Lieutenant Redmond Herring is the son of Lord Herring. The only man in England with the recipe for Herring's original chocolate compound. If we can convince Herring to give us the recipe before he gets dead, think of the chocolate we could grow. For holy God. As a Bolshevik, I would rejoice in the secret to tasty chocolate, as well as the means of production being in the hands of the proletariat. But to be honest, Herring is as safe in Joe's sights as anywhere else. Since when are you a red communist Bolshevik? I thought you were a GAA man through and through. I still am a girl, as green as any man in Ireland. 
but I reckon Trotsky and the Bolshevs look set to build a workers' utopia in Jigdang. So I'm pleasant for them, in case Dev and the boys fail. Joe, I hate to rush you, but I really should be going, unless I'm dead. Oh, Jesus Christ! Are you not dead yet? Oh, shite's sake. I am sorry about this, but this fucking yoke of a sniper gun won't shoot straight no matter what. Oh, dear God, am I to be disgraced as a soldier of Aaron? Am I to let down the many possible fathers who have guided me this far? Sweet God in heaven! How do I get him killed? Here's our chance at the chocolate, lads. Pass me the gramophone topper there, Ambrose. No, Joe. You have let no one down. I am God's friend, Eamon. And from up here in heaven, it looks like you have done exceptionally well for a stupid shite of a man. And all us angels and heaven men are well pleased with you. A heavenly voice, I thought. Like in the Bible, label, label, label. Or the one that tells Father Angus how much money he needs to save us all from the fires of hell on a weekly basis. Heavenly voice, I thought, tell me what to do. You must give up killing the Lieutenant Hearn there. And, uh, whatever secrets he may reveal about chocolate or other confectionery, you must keep quiet about and shut your hole on the matter, saith the Lord. Uh, so pause the shooting for now. Very well, Eamon. Thou hast spoken, and in thy speaking, I will hear and answer thee, Eamon. Simultaneously, and at the same meanwhile, Commander Pooley is now fully encased in his bulletproof box and under his desk, scribbling a note. Get this note to those rebel scum, Michael Collins and Eamon de Valera. Tell them, I think it was damned unsporting to have someone sniping at me personally when there were so many ordinary soldiers left. That's not playing fair. Who'd keep the wars going if all the generals were gone? Yes, Prime Minister, that is correct. I am withdrawing our forces from Ireland immediately. Who? Well, even with your wife involved, it would not be enough, sir. Prime Minister, I have been involved in warfare across the globe. I have personally overseen the deaths of 37,000... or was it 137,000 troops under my command? But I have never, ever been so shot at in my life, and I do not intend to be killed in a box, in a barracks, in a bog, in the middle of nowhere. No! I did not authorise a withdrawal from my account by a Damon Villalera. Right! That's it! We leave, now! We're going home. Do you hear that, you slimy, sniping bastard? We're leaving, going back to Blighty, and I am still alive! <laughs> On top of nearby Sniper Hill, Joe, on his knees, hands joined and eyes closed, is firing his gun. Terry and Ambrose are anxiously fires the requisite number of bullets to justify their halfway up a hill on-site allowance. This prevents them from noticing that Sister Jim has removed her nun's habit and is now dressed in a metal bodice and a short leather skirt. Rather more surprisingly, she appears to have a pair of great big wings sprouting from her back and a really bright halo around her head. She looks like a totally different person. Someone Joe recognises, although he has not seen her, for 20 years. Mammy! It's me, Mammy! Sister Jim, Mrs. Joe, what the hell are you doing here? I thought you were way off riddled with the box. Where's Sister Jim? 
I was Sister Jim for many years, Ambrose Cranty, awaiting for this moment. The nun disguise was perfect for me to observe my son Joe. With the full veil and the vow of silence, none could ever suspect. Vow of silence? But she never shut your hole this last 20 years. Well, you can shut yours now, Ambrose. I am an angel, sent by God 24 years ago to this very parish to raise a son who would be a saviour for our country. And to breed him, I drew seed into my womb from every man in the village old enough. Through the interventions of the divine, the seed was mixed to form a man through whom our sacred work could be done. You, Joe, are that man. What does this mean, Jimemi? From the moment you climbed this holy hill, wheels were set in motion, and the hand of the Lord guided every bullet you fired at the red herring ear straight towards the tyrant, Commander Pooley. Any chance we helped at all, Mrs. Joe's ma'am, Sister Jim Angel? I mean, we did supply young Joe with the necessary forms and procedures to brutalise the oppressor, and we did oversee an eye on him for to see him kept safe. Terry and Ambrose, you were the two worst shites in the land. Unfortunately, the new Ireland will need men like you, since the good ones are being killed leading the revolution. Heaven help us, but you are to go to Dublin and become important. Right. Bolshevism can feck off so. Joe, you are to come with me to heaven, for this sweet land is done with war, and you as the ultimate tool of war must come with me now, or war shall never leave this land. Deadly! Meanwhile, Commander Pooley is trotting along on his horse as his army withdraws from Ireland. Would you like to get out of your box, sir? It's a bulletproof vestment. No, I do not want to get out of it, not until I am as far away from this whole of a country as I can be. Still, it's all over, sir. Whoever was trying to kill you didn't succeed. You didn't even need your bulletproof vestment box. That's right, though, isn't it? I tell you, Smithkiss, when I put my mind to it, not even heaven itself could kill me. By the way, where did you get this bulletproof vestment? It was left by Mr. Raymond Valadera, with a sweet little note on it that said, This will take care of you, Poulet. But I never noticed those wires sticking out. Wires? What wires? The explosion is, well, it's really, really big and can be seen from the depths of Londonstein to the heights of Sniper Hill, where our story is set to conclude as Mrs. Joe's mammy, the angel, explains. Come on then, Joe. We shall fly to Tiernan Oak and the land of Irish heroes. Your special purpose is fulfilled, and by staying here, you would cast a shadow of war over this land for generations. Right, Jimmy Mammy, let's go. Joe's mam takes him by the hand, and they ascend towards the clouds in a beam of holy light. Farewell, Lieutenant Herring. Farewell, Terry. Farewell, Ambrose. I'm off to see God, and look down on ye miserable buggers for all eternity. And by cheese, I'll enjoy it. But at an altitude of 280 feet, things go somewhat awry. 
caught in the wretched grip of Lucifer Stanton's patented sniper's piss piping, our stupefied hero Joe is whipped out of his mother's hands and flung back to the sod of Airden, propelled by the strong rubber tube attached to his groin and the statue of St. Judas. Out of shite. Sorry, Ireland. I'm away off to heaven now. I hope you don't make a complete piddlefeck of things after the English leave. And so, with a simple twang of elastic, the fate of Aaron was sealed. Not alone did the English-Britishers not leave of their own accord, but they put General Sir Evil MacReady in charge of pacifying the country, and a ferocious level of awful took place. Worse still, the tool of war that was Sniper Joe remained embedded in the Emerald Isle for generations, and he in turn bred more tools, who later wound up running the nation. Which explains why we have been such a shite of a country when it comes to killing each other and letting all sorts of glory men and shyster boys run our poor green little land into the dirt. It also explains why the putting of little rubber bits onto gentlemen's mickeys was banned for so long in old Ireland. But fear not, there is an antidote to the relentless gloom and darkness ushered in at the birth of our nation. However, that's another story. Until then, Slánagas Bannacht, and as Dev would say, keep your fingers crossed, your head down, and your mouth shut, and sure we'll all be grand. The end. You've been listening to Sniper Joe and Sister Jim, a radio drama written by Seamus McRory and Ita Callaghy, and produced by McConnell Turinta. It was performed by Michael Murphy, Tina Kelleher, Jerry May, Pat Deary and Seamus McRory. Music was composed by Sofina Nakana, the button accordion was played by Isaac Scanlon and the bazooki player was Fintan McManus. Recording took place at Kairos Studios Maynooth, assisted by Ita Callaghy and Louise Cochran. Sound recording was by Mick Cassidy. The play was directed by Kevin McCann, with editing and effects by Seamus McRory. Sniper Joe and Sister Jim is a radio production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland under the Sound and Vision Scheme.